Story three of Cape Cod Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Cape Cod Stories by Joseph C. Lincoln. Story three The South Shore Weather Bureau. But, says Captain Jonadab and me together, jest as if we was readin' in concert, same as the youngsters do in school, but, we says, will it work? Will anybody pay for it? Work, says Peter T., with his fingers in the armholes of the double-breasted danger signal that he called a vest, and with his cigar tilted up till you'd think twould set his hat-brim afire. Work, says he. Well, maybe twouldn't work if the ordinary brand of canned lobster was running, but with me to jerk the lever and sound the loud timbrel, why, say, it's like stealing money from a blind cripple that's hard a hearin'. Yes, I know, says Captain Jonadab, but this ain't like startin' the old home house. That was openin' up a brand new kind of hotel that nobody ever heard of before. This is peddlin' weather prophecies when there's the government weather bureau runnin' opposition, not to mention the old farmer's almanac, and I don't know how many more, he says. Brown took his patent leathers down off the rail of the piazza, give the ashes of his cigar a flip, he knocked em into my hat that was on the floor side of his chair, but he was too excited to mind, and he says, Confound it, man, he says, you can throw more cold water than a fire engine. Old farmer's almanac. This isn't any about-this-time-look-out-for-snow business, and it ain't any Washington Colts law like weather for New England and Rocky Mountains, Tuesday to Friday, cold to warm, well done on the edges with a rare streak in the middle, preceded or followed by rain, snow, or clearing, wind north to south, varying east and west. No siree! This is today's weather for Cape Cod, served right off the griddle on a hot plate, and cooked by the chef at that. You don't realize what a regular dime museum wonder that feller is, he says. Well, I suppose we didn't. You see, Jonadab and me, like the rest of the folks around Wellmouth, had come to take Berea Crocker and his weather notions as the regular thing, like baked beans on a Saturday night. Berea, he... Uh, but there, I've been sailing stern first. Let's get her headed right, if we ever expect to turn the first mark. You see, twas this way. Twas in the early parts of May, following the year that the old home house was opened. We'd had the place all painted up, decks holly-stoned, bunks overhauled, and one thing or another, and the old home was all taut and ship-shape, ready for the crew. Boarders, I mean. Passages was booked all through the summer, and it looked as if our second season would be better than our first. Then the Dillaway girl, she was christened Lobelia like her mother, but she'd painted it out and cruised under the name of Belle since the family got rich. She thought twould be nice to have what she calls a spring house party for her particular friends, for the regular season opened. So Peter, he being engaged at the time, and consequent in that condition where he'd have put on horns and mood if she'd give the order, he thought twould be nice too, and for a week it was all hands on deck getting ready for the house party. Two days afore the thing was to go off the ways, Brown gets a letter from Bell, and in it 
Says she's invited a whole lot of folks from Chicago and New York and Boston and the land knows where, and that they'd never been to the Cape, and she wants to show em what a quaint place it is. Can't you get, says she, two or three delightful queer old longshore characters to be at work round the hotel? It'll give such a touch of local color, she says. So out comes Peter with the letter. Barzilla, he says to me, I want some characters. Know anybody that's a character? Well, says I, there's Nate Slocum over to Orem. He'd steal anything that wa'n't spiked down. He's about the toughest character I can think of offhand this way. Oh, thunder, says Brown. I don't want a crook. That wouldn't be any novelty to this crowd, he says. What I'm after is old stick, a feller with pigeons in his loft. Not a lunatic, but just a queer genius, little queerer than you and the captain here. After a while we got his drift, and I happened to think of Maria and his chum, even Cobb. They lived in a little shanty over to Skakit Pint and got their living lobstering and so on. Both of em had saved a few thousand dollars, but you couldn't get a cent of it without giving em ether, and they'd rather live like Portuguese than white men any day, unless they was paid to change. Maria's pet ID was foretelling what the weather was going to be, and he could do it, too, better'n anybody I ever see. He'd smell a storm further'n a cat can smell fish, and he hardly ever made a mistake. Prided himself on it, you understand, like a boy does on his first long pants. His prophecies was his idols, so to speak, and you couldn't have hired him to foretell what he knew was wrong, not for no money. Peter said Maria and Eben was just the sort of cards he was looking for, and drove right over to see him. He hooked him too. I knew he would. He could talk a come-outer into believing that a Unitarian wasn't booked for Tophet if he set out to. So the special train from Boston brought the house-party down, and our two-seated buggy brought Maria and Eben over. They didn't have anything to do but look picturesque and say, I snum and I swan de man, and they could do that to the skipper's taste. The city folks thought they was just too dear and odd for anything, and made em bigger fools than ever, which wa'n't necessary. The second day of the party was to be a sailing trip clear down to the life-saving station at Setucket Beach. It certainly looked as if twas going to storm, and the government predictions said it was, but Berea said no, and stuck out that twould clear up by and by. Peter wanted to know what I thought about their startin', and I told him that twas my experience that where weather was concerned, Berea was a good safe anchorage. So they sailed away, and sure enough, it cleared up fine. And the next day, the government fellow said, clear. And Berea said, rain, and she poured a flood. And after three or four of such experiences, Berea was all hunky with the house party, and they looked at him as a sort of wonderful freak, like a two-headed calf or the snake-child or some such outrage. So when the party was over, round comes Peter, bustling with a new notion. What he calculated to do was to start a weather prophesying bureau, all on his own hook, with Baria for profit, and him for manager and general advertiser, and Jonadab and me to help put up the money to get her going. 
He argued that summer folks from Setuckit to Provincetown, on both sides of the Cape, would pay good prices for the real thing in weather predictions. The Gov'ment Bureau, so he said, covered too much ground, but Beriah was local and hit her right on the head. His idea was to send Beriah's predictions by telegraph to agents in every Cape town each morning, and the agents was to hand them to subscribers. First week a free trial, after that so much per prophecy. And it worked. Oh, land, yes, it worked. Peter's letters and circulars would satisfy anybody that black was white, and the free trial was a sure bait. I don't know why it is, but if you offered the smallpox free, there'd be a barrel of victims waiting in line to come down with it. Brown rigged up a little shanty on the bluff in front of the old home, and filled it full of barometers and thermometers and chronometers and charts, and put Berea and Eben inside to look wise and make believe do something. This was the office of the South Shore Weather Bureau, and was sort of sacred and holy and twould kill you to see the boarders tiptoeing up and peeking in the winder to watch them two old coots squintin' through a telescope at the sky or scribblin' rubbish on paper and Berea was right most every time i don't know why my notion is that he was born that way same as some folks are born lightning calculators but i'll never forget the first time peter asked him how he done it wow drawls Berea now to-day looks fine and clear don't it but last night my left elbow had rheumatiz in it and this morning my bones ache and my right toe gent is sore so i know we'll have an easterly wind and rain this evening if it been my left toe now why peter held up both hands that'll do he says i i ain't asking any more questions only if the boarders or outsiders ask you how you work it you cut out the bones and toe business and talk science and temperature to beat the cause. Understand, do you? It's science or no eight fifty in the pay envelope. Left toe joint, and he goes off grinning. We had to have Eben, though he wasn't worth a green hand's wages as a prophet, but him and Berea stuck by each other like two flies in a glue pot, and you couldn't hire one without t'other. Peter said twas all right, two prophets looked better than one anyhow, and as the subscriptions kept up pretty well and the bureau paid a fair profit, Jonadab and me didn't kick. In July, Mrs. Freeman, she had charge of the upper decks of the old home and was rated head chambermaid, up and quit, and being as we couldn't get another capable Cape Codder just then, Peter fetched down a woman from New York one that a friend of old dillaway's recommended she was able seaman so far as the work was concerned but she'd been good-looking once and couldn't forget it and she was one of them clippers that ain't happy unless they've got a man in tow you know the kind pretty nigh old enough to be a coal barge but all rigged up with bunting and frills like a yacht her name was kelly emma kelly and she was a widow whether from choice or act of providence i don't know the other women servants was all down on her, of course, cause she had city ways and a style of wearin' her togs that made their Sunday gowns and bonnets look like distress signals. But they couldn't deny that she was a driver so far as her work was concerned. She'd whoop through the hotel like a nor'easter and have everything done and done well by two o'clock in the afternoon. 
Then she'd be ready to dress up and go on parade to astonish the natives. Men, except the boarders, of course, was scarce around Wellmouth Port. First the Kelly lady began to flag Captain Jonadab and me, but we sheered off and took to the offing. Jonadab, being a widower, had had his experience, and I never had the Marian disease and wasn't hankering to catch it. So Emma had to look for other victims, and the profit shop looked to her like the most likely feeding ground. And would you believe it, them two old critters, Berea and Eben, gobbled the bait like sculpins. If she'd been a woman like the kind they was used to, the cape kind, I mean, I don't suppose they'd have paid any attention to her. But she was different from anything they'd run up against, and the first thing you know, she had em both poke-hooked. Twas all in fun on her part first along, I calculate, but pretty soon some idiot let out that both of em was worth money, and then the race was on, in earnest. She'd drop in at the weather factory, long in the afternoon, and pretend to be terrible interested in the goings-on there. I don't see how you two gentlemen can tell what's going to rain or not. I think you are the most wonderful men. Do tell me, Mr. Crocker, will it be good weather tomorrow? I wanted to take a little walk up to the village about four o'clock, if it was. And then Berea'd swell out like a puffing pig, and put on airs, and look out of the window, and crow, Yes'm, I judge that we'll have a southerly breeze in the morning, and some fog, but nothing to last, nothing to last. The afternoon, I calculate, will be fair. I, I, that is to say, I was figuring on going to the village myself tomorrow. Then Emma would pump up a blush and smile and purr that she was so glad, cause then she'd have company. And Eben would glower at Berea, and Berea'd grin sort of superior-like, and mutual barometer, so's to speak, would fall about a foot during the next hour. The brotherly business between the two prophets was coming to an end fast, and all on account of Mrs. Kelly. She played him even for almost a month didn't show no preference one way or t'other. First, twas Eben that seemed to be eaten up to windward, and then Berea catch a puff and gain for a spell. Captain Jonadab and me was uneasy, for we was afraid the weather bureau would suffer for the thing was done with, but Peter was away, and we didn't like to interfere till he come home. Then, all at once, Emma seemed to make up her mind, and twas all Eben from that time on. The fact is, the widder had learned, somehow or other, that he had the most money of the two. Berea didn't give up. He stuck to it like a good'un, but he was fallin' behind, and he knew it. As for Eben, he couldn't help showin' a little joyful pity, so's to speak, for his partner, and the atmosphere in that rain laboratory got so frigid that I didn't know but we'd have to put up a stove. The two wizards was hardly on speaking terms. The last of August come, and the old home house was going to close up on the day after Labor Day. Peter was down again, and so was Ebenezer and Belle, and there was to be hijinks to celebrate the season's wind-up. There was to be a grand excursion and clam-bake at Situate Beach, and all hands was going, four cat-boats full. Of course, the weather must be good, or it's no joy-job taking females to Situate in a cat-boat. 
The night before the big day, Peter came out to the weather bureau, and Jonadab and me dropped in likewise. Beriah was there all alone. Eben was out walking with Emma. "'Well, Jeremiah,' says Brown, chipper as a mackerel gull on a spar boy, "'what's the outlook for tomorrow? The government sharp says there's a big storm on the way up from Florida. Is he right or only an also-ran, as usual?' well says beria going to the door i don't know mr brown it don't look just right i swan it don't i can tell you better in the morning i hope to be fair too because i was calculating to get a day off and borrow your horse and buggy and go over to the ostable camp meeting it's the big day over there he says now i knew of course that he meant he was going to take the widder with him but peter spoke up and says he sorry beria but you're too late even asked me for the horse and buggy this morning i told him he could have the open buggy the other one's being repaired and i wouldn't lend the new surrey to the grand panjandrum himself even's going to take the fair emma for a ride he said beria i'm afraid our beloved cobb is in the innocence of his youth being roped in by the sophisticated damsel in the shoe-fly hat says he me and jonadab hadn't had time to tell peter how matters stood betwixt the prophets or most likely he wouldn't have said that it hit beria like a snowslide off a barn roof i found out afterwards that the widder had more'n half promised to go with him he slumped down in his chair as if his mainmast was carried away and he didn't even rise to blow for the rest of the time he was in the shanty just sat there looking fishy-eyed at the floor Next morning I met Eben prancing around in his Sunday clothes and with a necktie on that would make a rainbow look like a mourning badge. "'Hello,' says I. "'You seem to be pretty chipper. You ain't going to start for that fifteen-mile ride through the woods to Ostable, be ya? Looks to me as if it was going to rain.' "'The predictions for this day,' says he, "'is cloudy in the forenoon, but clearing later on. Wind southeast, changing to south and southwest.' did beria send that out says i looking doubtful for if ever it looked like dirty weather i thought it did right then me and beria sent it out he says jealous like but i knew twas beria's forecast or he wouldn't have been so sure of it pretty soon out comes peter looking dubious at the sky if it was anybody else but beria he said i'd say this morning prophecy ought to be sent to puck where is the seventh son of the seventh son, the only original American seer? He wasn't in the weather shanty, and we finally found him on one of the seats way up on the edge of the bluff. He didn't look round when we come out, but just stared at the water. "'Hey, Elijah!' says Brown. He was always calling Berea Elijah, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or some other prophet name out of Scripture. Does this go?' and he held out the telegraph blank with the morning prediction on it. Berea looked round just for a second. He looked at me sort of sick and pale, that is, pale as his sunburned rhinoceros hide would ever turn. The forecast for today, says he, looking at the water again, is cloudy in the forenoon, but clearing later on. Wind sou-east, changing to sow and southwest. Right you are, says Peter Joyful. We start for Situate, then, and here's where the South Shore Weather Bureau hands another swift jolt to your Uncle Sam. 
So after breakfast the catboats loaded up, the girls giggling and screaming, and the men boarders dressed in what they hoped was sea togs. They sailed away round the lighthouse and headed up the shore, and the wind was sou'east sure and sartin, but the clearing part wasn't in sight yet. Maria didn't watch em go. He stayed in the shanty. But by and by, when Eben drove the buggy out of the barn and Emma comes skipping down the piazza steps, I see him peeking out of the little window. The Kelly critter had all sail sought and colors flying. Her dress was some sort of mosquito netting with wallpaper posies on it, and there was more ribbons flapping than there is reef pants in a mainsail. And her hat! Great guns! It looked like one of them pictures you see in a flower-seed catalogue. Oh, she squeals when she sees the buggy. Oh, Mr. Cobb, ain't you afraid to go in that open carriage? It looks to me like rain. But Eben waved his flippers scornful. My forecast this morning says he is cloudy now, but clearing by and by. You trust to me, Miss Kelly. Weather's my business. Of course I trust you, Mr. Cobb, she says. Of course I trust you, but I should hate to spile my gown, that's all. They drove out of the yard fine as fiddlers, and I watched em go. When I turned round there was Berea watchin em too, and he was smilin for the first time that mornin. But it was one of them kind of smiles that makes you wish he'd cry. At half-past ten it begun to sprinkle. At eleven twas rainin hard. At noon twas a pourin, roarin sou'easter, and looked good for the next twelve hours at least. "'Good Lord, Berea,' says Captain Jonadab, running into the weather bureau. "'You've missed stays this time, for sure. Has your prophecy works got indigestion?' he says. But Berea wasn't there. The shanty was closed, and we found out afterwards that he spent that whole day in the store down at the port. By two o'clock twas so bad that I put on my eye-skins and went over to Wellmont and telephoned to the Situate Beach life-saving station to find out if the clambakers had got there right side up. They got there. Fact is, they was in the station then, and the language Peter hove through that telephone was enough to melt the wires. Twas all in the shape of compliments to the prophet, and I heard Central tell him she'd reported to the head office. Brown said twas blowin' so they'd have to come back by the inside channel, and that meant landin' way up Harness Way, and hirin' teams to come to the port with from there. Twas nearly eight when they drove into the yard and come sloppin' up the steps, and such a passel of drowned rats you never see. The women folks made for their rooms, but the men hopped around the parlor, shedding puddles with every hop, and hollering for us to trot out the head of the weather bureau. Bring em to me, orders Peter, stopping to pick his pants loose from his legs. I yearn to caress him. And what old Dillaway said was worse than that. But Berea didn't come to be caressed. Twas quarter past nine when we heard wheels in the yard. By mighty, yells Captain Jonadab, it's the camp-meeting pilgrims. I forgot them. Here's a show. He jumped to open the door, but it opened before he got there and Berea come in. He didn't pay no attention to the welcome he got from the gang, but just stood in the sill, pale, but grinning the grin that a terrier dog has on, just as you're going to let the rat out of the trap. Somebody outside says, Whoa, consarn ya! 
Then there was a thump and a sloshy stamping on the steps, and in comes Eben and the widder. I had one of them long haired foreign cats once that a British skipper gave me. 'Twas a yeller and black one, and it fell overboard. When we fished it out it looked just like the Kelly woman done then. Everybody but Beriah just screeched. We couldn't help it. But the prophet didn't laugh. He only kept on grinning. Emma looked once round the room, and her eyes, as well as you could see em through the snarl of dripping hair and hat trimming, fairly snapped. Then she went up the stairs, three steps at a time. Eben didn't say a word. He just stood there and leaked, leaked, and smiled. Yes, sir, his face, over the mess that had been that rainbow tie, had the funniest look of idiotic joy on it that ever I see. In a minute, everybody else shut up. We didn't know what to make of it. Twas Maria that spoke first. He, he, he chuckled. He, 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 wasn't it kind of wet coming through the woods, Mr. Cobb? What does Mrs. Kelly think of the day her beau picked out to go camp meeting in? Then Eben came out of his trance. Maria, says he, holding up a dripping flipper, shake. But Maria didn't shake just stood still. "'I've got a surprise for you, shipmate,' goes on Eben. "'Who did you say that lady was?' Beria didn't answer. I begun to think that some of that wet soaked through the assistant prophet's skull and had give him water on the brain. "'You called her Miss Kelly, didn't you?' gurgled Eben. "'Well, that ain't her name.' Her and me stopped at the Baptist parsonage over to East Harness when we was on the way home and got married. She's Miss Cobb now, he says. Well, the queerest part of it was that twas the bad weather was really what brought things to a head so sudden. Eben hadn't spunked up anywhere near nigh enough courage to propose, but they stopped at Ostable so long, waiting for the rain to let up, that twas after dark when they was halfway home. Then Emma, oh, she was a slick one, said that her reputation would be ruined out that way with a man that want her husband. If they was married now, she said, and even a dummy could take that hint. I found Beria at the weather shanty about an hour afterwards with his head on his arms. He looked up when I come in. Mr. Wingate, he says, I'm a fool, but for the land's sake don't think I'm such a fool as not to know that this here storm was bound to strike today. I lied, he says. I lied about the weather for the first time in my life, lied right up and down so as to get her mad with him. My reputation's gone forever. There's a feller in the Bible that sold his, his birthday, I think it was, for a mess of porridge. I'm him. Only and he groaned awful. They have cheated me out of the porridge. But you ought to have read the letters Peter got next day from subscribers that had trusted to the prophecy and had gone on picnics and such like. The South Shore Weather Bureau went out of business right then. End of Story 3